Yeah. 
Here I am to bow down, here I am to say 
Okay, you can take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 4. I will guide you to make your way to children's churches. You do that. And we've been in a series up and on for these last several weeks together on the sign of the end. And looking at Matthew 24 and 25, we said it is Jesus who answered. It's the longest answer given to any question that's asked to Jesus. And the question, of course, is how do we know that the time is here, the time of judgment and the time of your coming? And so Jesus begins to answer that. And he really goes through an outline of some things to expect. And today kind of going to begin the part where Jesus begins to do teaching deeper uh, into the outline that he has that he has given us long before today. Asa, Asa, how many of you ever heard of Asa? Asa was a slave and a storyteller who lived and lived in ancient Greece all around 
this is very important. I think this is the way for which we might say that the book Christ, because it does get said that the Christ is going to come this year or that year. It is rather ironic, though, that this passage is being used to discredit the Word of God or to misinterpret Christ and His teaching, because Christ is doing His best here to be clear to us on the subject that can be and is rather confusing. So I want to read with you Matthew 24, verses 32 through 35, and I want all that in the background of your thinking as you listen to what Jesus gives us here, the parable of the fig tree. As we start going through the, this section all the way through chapter 25 and this week's ahead, you're going to find that Jesus begins now to teach a parable. And the, and the reason is, is that, I think it's, it's a couple of reasons. One, some of the things that Jesus is telling us as Christians, God intends to continue from the world for His divine purpose and reason. And so He's, he's telling it in parables. So there's sort of a mystery behind what's, what's being said. The world wouldn't get it, but Christians would understand it. A second reason is that parables give a deeper teaching to simply just say, okay, well, here's something. This is black, this is white, this is this is down, this is dead. Uh, this this requires for us to think a little harder, to pray a little deeper, to seek out the Holy Spirit a little clearer uh, in what's going on and what we're reading. So I think there's a, a reason for this. So Jesus is he, he's been very specific about the, the time for those things, and now he's changing. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. Let me just stop and say, summer is near is a poetic, parabolistic way that Jesus is going to say, My second coming or my coming of is so also, he says, when you see all these things, and that's the things he's been talking about, you know that he is near at the very beginning. He's talking sort of like he's in the third person about himself. He's saying, I'm, I'm close to returning. That time is at hand. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This is the problem. This is the first that has caused Christians and theologians to distract their head. This is the verse that has said um, that people have said, okay, well, Jesus can't be taken at his word. The church got it wrong. The Bible got it wrong. This is the one that people say, well, this verse solidifies the fact that, that Jesus must have been talking about it that day and to that people these things and so all these prophecies have already taken place. This is the verse by which those who hold a futuristic view uh, say, well, there is a prophetic prophecy to be seen and understood about his coming. Truly, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And then Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not Jesus underscores what he says here in this parable, but he just says there in verse 
reality is that, that, that there are those that can think all this has been fulfilled, but yet when you get into the Bible, you say, well, then what about this? What about this? It doesn't add up. So this isn't a majority view in any way. Now, there's a second view. It is the futurist view. Now, the futurists believe that the Olympus, Olympus Discourse, It is Jesus speaking of a time just prior to his return. Typically, futurists believe this generation speaks of the current or future generation that will see these things that Jesus has outlined in the Olivet Discourse. Futurists typically see the victory into here in Matthew 24. That is Peter's point. Furthermore, they hold that the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948 was the budding that Jesus is speaking of. And there were many, if you remember, there was one fellow in here that wrote a book about it that said Jesus would return in 1988. And he wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. But much of what he had to say was based off this, this passage here. Now, the main problem with this view, what's the problem with this view? Is that with each passing year, it gets harder to explain the, this generation. I mean, since 1948, now what? How many years is that saying now? 70 years? 74 years? So is it 40 years, 60 years, 70 years? And, and, and there are those that believe that generation is 100 years. So, I want to say here, and give a caveat, that in a sense, the futurist view can still be correct in that they call the right thing because of 1948, because we're still in the window of time that could be, all right, this is Studying this, God showed me something different. And this is not 
this is the way that you've been behaving throughout different generations. You're not any different than your father. You've got the same mindset that they've got, and it probably will work now. Uh, and so he connected two different mindsets to more than one time frame. I know that might be splitting hairs here a little bit, but I want you to see Jesus is using the word generation in a particular way. Well, look over at Matthew 16 and in verse 4. Let's go back just a little bit more. We see Jesus using the word again. And here he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're demanding a sign, you know, to show us that you're, you're, you're the Son of God and, and, and go out and do saving work. So, verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. You remember the sign of Jonah? Where Jonah went and preached for 40 days and never before he was born and died when he was That's the sign of Jonah. And so he left and departed. But what I want you to see there, it's even clear here that Jesus is connecting what's going on and how they're thinking to a generational thought. Alright? It's like I said, give me generation. Jesus is saying, hey, you are an adulterous, evil generation, all right? Uh, matter of fact, when Peter preaches in Acts, in Acts chapter 20, verse 40, uh, Peter says, and with many other words, and the Bible says about Peter in sermon two, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked or perverse generation. But think about what Peter's saying. He says, you need to be saved, what? From a time frame? No. Peter's not saying, hey, you need to be saved uh, in, you know, 50 A.D. or 52 A.D. This is a bad time. You need to be saved right now in this year. And I'm not up here telling you that you need to be saved in 2022. I'm saying that you need to be saved from the sinful mindset in your heart and life.
of something. As a matter of fact, he says, learn the lesson. That'd be like your school teacher saying, now, don't miss this. All right? Let's go back a little bit. Let's go over this problem one more time. Don't miss what I'm telling you here, what I'm teaching you. So there's an importance here for others. And that's point number three. Consider the implications in the interpretation of this word. Now, what I mean by that, all right, so that's the seeds. And if you just use, and I don't even have a name for this view that I gave you, but you're actually going to get my name for that one. What's the implication of that? How, how, how does that speak to you? What lessons does this give? What does this all mean? Well, rather than looking, and here's, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Rather than looking for a sign to be given, we're looking for a Savior. Now, there's a lot of Christians out there that are big into prophetic prophecy. Nothing wrong with that. They love to read it, they love to study it, and they love to think about it. But let your eye not be on the sign that is coming, but on the Savior. But when we see the signs that Jesus is talking about, then be ready. Understand the reality. It should encourage us to believe that our faith has not been misplaced. So this generation that Jesus is speaking here about, I believe is referencing a people who refuse to obey and trust in the Word of God. Jesus confirms that this generation transcends the generation that killed the prophet Zechariah and a bit that had happened happened hundreds of years before. So the two primary theological points that arise out of Matthew 24 and 34 is this. So let me give you two things. The restoration of the nation of Israel. God has promised that Israel will be restored. And that's one reason that people believe 1948 working of the nation of Israel stands as a perhaps prophetic timestamp of something God is doing and speaks to the imminency of his return. But however, understand this, that God didn't just say that Israel would be restored as a nation, but Israel would be fully restored, not just physically, but also spiritually. You see, a lot of Bible interpreters, prophetic Bible interpreters, do this theory. God did not just promise that that she would come back to existence in a physical form, but that Israel would also come back in a spiritual way. Israel would come to a point, according to the Word of God, according to what Jesus has said, that she will no longer reject her Lord, her Messiah, the Messiah would come to Israel, and Israel would come to Messiah. Listen to what the prophets have to say about this. Uh, look over in Ezekiel chapter 36. And we've been in Ezekiel some in this, this uh, particular passage. But the verses 24 through 28, Ezekiel 36, 24 through uh, 28. And the prophet says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you 
saying, you're going to be this place, you're going to be this location, but don't be worried. I'm going to take you out of the nations of this world, and I'm going to bring you back into your land, and I'm going to make you a nation. And I've said to you, that is one of the greatest miracles we've ever witnessed. It's a biblical prophecy that has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in 1948. I mean, you know, we had this, you don't see the Hittites, the Jebusites, the and all the ones today, but you don't see those things. Those nations coming back into existence. I mean, usually when a nation goes off the sea, that's it. They're done. A new nation may be formed, but not an old nation. But Israel was reconstituted. But now listen to what Ezekiel said. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, I'm just going to read this with you, and I think it is the Holy Spirit. I think this is a, a, a good clue here that this is going to come later after the church because the Holy Spirit didn't come to live to live within us until after Christ returned. And the Holy Spirit fell there on that day of Pentecost. And since that time, the child of God, the son of God, receives at that moment of salvation the Holy Spirit. Now, in those Testament, you could be anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not rest upon you, but it wasn't in you. It didn't dwell in you, did it? So there's, you can almost say there's a, there's a prophetic prophecy here that seems to say, point to, that this is a, a coming after the church event. Okay? But I want you to see here that Israel's not just restored physically, but spiritually. Let me give you another passage over in Amos, Amos chapter 9. Verses 14 and 15, the prophet Amos says, I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them on their land, and they shall never be uprooted. And out of them, or out of the land, So the prophets testify that God is going to restore the people, but he also says that he is going to restore them spiritually. And God says that anyone who comes against them will be crushed. And this is the lesson of the future. I believe it's a period of time that exists between the abomination of desolation and the second coming. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But I believe it is a time of genuine and final national spiritual revival for Israel. Well, how can that happen? Because let's face it, Israel is not spiritually renewed today. They still are rejecting the Messiah. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? Well, I believe Jesus has told us, and I believe the Bible is pretty clear on it. I 
think it's a stretch to say that what's going to happen is that when the Antichrist comes, and of course we know in the first three and a half years the Antichrist is to present himself to be this, this wonderful dude that keeps the peace of the world and everyone's going to want him to be the leader. And then what happens? He goes into the temple and sets up on the throne and says, I'm God and worship me. At that moment, the Bible says the scales of the Bible get broken. The, the Hebrew Jewish people who are living under the judgment of God today, because they rejected Christ, God said, all right, I'm going to get behind this teacher and worship him. In other words, you didn't want to see my son, so I'm going to make it where you don't get to see me and you see him. And so, listen, when, when God, when God, anyone who's ever saved is saved because God has opened up their heart and mind. If God doesn't open up a heart and mind, then we can't see the spiritual things. And against the nation of Israel, they're living under the judgment of God. But I believe there's a triggering event. You know, we talk about people being triggered today. Doesn't take much to trigger people in that day. I mean, you, you see it, you know, somebody be, you know, they're in society and all of a sudden, boom, they'll just be nuts or they'll go nuts or they'll go off. You think, well, that triggered them. Well, there's going to be a triggering for Israel. The moment that the Antichrist says, hey, I am the Messiah, they're going to say, wait a minute. The Bible's right. Jesus is Christ. And the Bible of Jesus says, what Gregory said this last week on the abomination of desolation, when that moment comes, listen, you better pray that you're not Jerusalem. You better pray that you're not the Great One. You have to pray, you know, that you can that you can get out of town too, because all hell is prepared against you. And those who are alive to see that revival, I believe, is the generation that Jesus said you could not pass by. Because it's the moment in which they fall at their stake and they're saved. So let me give you a time frame here, a time frame. The sign of the end of the age. Here's some signs. Here's some things. Here's some. Here's some shadows of things that are going to be true for my second coming. There will be false Christ. Have there been false Christ? Yes. There are still those today that that claim to be Jesus. That many who have, who have gone out and said they are Christ, but they are not Christ. Wars and rumors are going on. Anybody heard of the wars lately? earthquakes and pestilence. You know, the migrations that just came out of a worldwide pandemic. I, you know, I don't know about you, I might not know what that's meant. I mean, I know the end of the I believe there will be the rapture of the church. Now, the rapture of the church is one of those mysterious things. It's, it's there and you hear it and it's there and you're, you're told about it, but it's Bible doesn't dwell just here on that rapture. Just Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians, you know. Uh, I think there's a, there's a symbolic picture of it in Revelation. And, and you know, you, 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 you can believe or not believe what I'm saying. That's, that's fine. Whatever you want to do. If you want to stick around, that's up to you. I'm, I'm all for taking the point. Think about it. Okay? If you want to stay, don't leave. 
So that's the size of the individual. It, and I believe when the rapture comes, and, and the church has taken out, I don't believe it's then, but the prophetic times of Revelation, the seven-year period is the nature of the prophetic then, In that three and one-half years, at the middle of that three and one-half years, the abomination of desolation happens. And then the Bible says there will be great persecution of God's elect. And, and that's most of, one of the greatest handicaps Thank you. 
maybe some sequencing of the way we see things and interpret some things that are important. And, and that has to change, I think, one of the things that we start when we hold ourselves accountable. And it's responsibility to study as Paul said to Timothy to show yourself a good man. Don't get lost in the thinking, well, this is the way it has to be. This is the way it's going to be because I'm going to have a different I said to you this morning, as I started this study, I had not thought about being complacent in any of that. Now, all right, I feel better because I'm going to be honest. I was kind of feeling a little bit worried this morning. I mean, I flew up here, Dr. Rogers told me about Jesus is going to come back any day. You know, Luke is going to rejoin the next time. Luke is going at any time. It's going to be any moment. Dr. Rogers died. If Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years, it's still good. It's still good. So we don't have to worry because the world tells us you can't believe the Bible, you can't believe Jesus coming back. You just need to make your heart understand that from what was being said to one another, Jesus is saying to each of his followers. So don't let your faith be shaken. God is still important, and we need to do things that matter in this world. Heavenly Father, we live in a day that can be frightening, a day that can be overwhelming and strange to be a Christian. We're told that the things we believe in are the things the Bible says about David.
We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.